while. Mm-hmm. And then the guests might get into a position where um, they find themselves comfortable, but then they're just like a little bit too far away. And uh, like, okay. and, and, right. and, like we're far enough into the conversation that I'm like, I don't want to have to <laughs> <laughs> interrupt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, hey, can you just uh, scoot a little, little mm-hmm. bit more? Mm-hmm. Like, we're already halfway into like what we think it, how long it's going to be. And it's mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. well, that's, I don't know. Thankfully, I can, I know a bit, mm-hmm. I know enough to like maybe like mitigate it in post. Oh, okay. But, yep. But, you know, it's still, it's a, it's a, you know, talking into a microphone is a weird thing to do. Sometimes, yeah. Especially yeah. regularly. Right, right. You know what I mean? I mean, the only mics I've really uh, talked into would be like uh, at a podium or something. Yeah. And in that case, they're probably, would they be like the little tiny snake yeah. ones that are attached mm-hmm. to the podium or something? And they yes, you don't have right. to be that close to right. it. Right. Or, or even um, the ones that go onto your... The um, lapel ones? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. And they're okay. Yeah. And in, the, in that case, it's more, um, you don't have to worry about your proximity to the microphone because it's attached to your, like... Your yeah, lapel, right. your collar, your yeah, tie, yeah, yeah. or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. And you don't, you literally don't, it's just, it goes wherever you go. <laughs> it's just so. <laughs> uh, I, I got some tissues on the side over here for myself just because mm-hmm. I'm, uh, I'm on the tail end of a cold. Oh. Uh, okay. And like, I feel, well, I feel okay. Yeah, yeah. But like, just in case, I just, my nose starts leaking. No. Uh-huh. just. Oh, right, you gotta right, of be course, ready. <laughs> of course, no one wants to hear that, but um, yeah. like me blowing my nose on mic. But um, I mean, I can cut that out later. So, <laughs> <laughs> editing, editing, yes, yeah. Have you been okay? Do you catch a cold during the winter months? I, I rarely catch a cold. If I do, see, I, I'm one of those people that believe in heal thyself. Okay. Okay. So. <laughs> If I do get a cold, I say to the cold, you've got two days, and you better be out of here. If not, it's war. Oh, okay. Oh, oh and I, I mean, I use every resource I can. I prefer, I guess, natural remedies. Okay. And so that really, they work. And so I know that my immune system is really strong mm-hmm. you know, because of it. Uh, there are also, if you have a cold, one, uh, this is an ancient Indian uh, remedy. You take the spiced turmeric, okay, and you dissolve uh, like a at least a teaspoon into a glass of uh, lukewarm water, right? And you drink that three times throughout the day, okay, and it'll cut a cold in half. Really? Yep. The other one is uh, apple cider vinegar. Oh, okay. And that cures a lot of stuff. I should get into this because I felt so proud of myself that like I had finished a semester. But mm-hmm. this past semester, mm-hmm. just about mid-December, I'm like, man, mm-hmm. I haven't caught a cold yet. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, it hits me like a ton of bricks like yeah, yeah, on yeah. Like, the back half yep. of December. Yep. And I'm just like, God damn it. Yeah, and, I know. And for some, maybe maybe I'm just catching the wrong colds or, yeah. or like I don't, I don't, like my immune system is not as strong as I thought it was. Mm-hmm. I find my colds last like, mm-hmm. you know, a couple weeks mm-hmm. because it's... um. Oh gosh! If you know, I, you catch it, it and you're like, oh, mm-hmm. and then it it gets to the apex. You're just like, you're not feeling. You're, you're feeling real bad, and then you know the healing process is it. It just takes a while. I'm just mm-hmm. you know I'm trying to. Um, I'm blowing my nose every other minute, mm-hmm. and right like <laughs> <laughs> uh, drinking all the robitussin mm-hmm. and whatever. Mm-hmm. Oh, and even with that, it doesn't you know 
Mm-hmm. I feel like it just mm-hmm. it's a it's a slow process that mm-hmm. I feel like it mm-hmm. needs it needs to be truncated because mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. I got stuff to do. Well, do the turmeric thing and then also uh, apple cider vinegar. There are different ways to to use apple cider vinegar, and I always get the organic version. Uh-huh. You know, you uh, again you put a little bit in a glass of, of water. Mm-hmm. Now, if you really want to wipe out something, you drink uh, a glass of this stuff every hour. Oh. But it's going to clean your entire system out. Right, okay. You will be spending some time. <laughs> uh, but it will wipe out stuff. And by that, you mean spending some time like mm-hmm. like hunched over? No, not hunched just, over. But, sit, uh, sitting <laughs> down. <laughs> it will clean your system out. All right. Um, I mean, it just knocks things out. Look at split. Okay. It's, it's amazing. I loved I Actually, uh, I just take a, quote, a swig of it. Right. Every morning. So that puts me ahead of the game. Yeah. If there's anything. You know, uh, this this winter, starting back in December, has been really up and down temperature-wise. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when people catch things. Oh, yeah. Those extremes of temperature. Today is, what, 30? Saturday, it's supposed to be almost 60. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> Thanks, climate change. Uh Oh, right. Oh, well. Yeah, yeah, we won't get onto that. I suppose, as like a musician who mm-hmm. is not who is a non-vocalist, mm-hmm. you're like being sick isn't too much of a detriment, right? Um, depends on what it is. I mean, yeah. you know, um, yeah, like if it's just like, oh, I got a little head cold, you're probably you're probably okay. Right. But if like you're part of the symptoms is like real like lethargy, you're like mm-hmm. I can't even like lift my hands to. I make myself do it. Yeah. I do. Um, what I find is when I just go ahead and just make sure it's happening, I, I, I do what I, I – I mean, I have to be like on my deathbed. <laughs> okay? Um, other than that, you know, I, I just go and do it. And I'm so glad I do because I feel so much better. Yeah. You know, I've accomplished it. Um, I may not have an, a, a lot of energy afterwards. Yeah. But I'm going to go uh, – I, I mean, I'll go back home and – and just crash, pa- pass out. Yep, just. right. And it's <laughs> yeah. okay. It's uh, okay. It yeah, works. I find I find myself doing that too mm-hmm. because it feels better to be up and about doing stuff. You know, yeah, for sure. Just like not for lo- sure. Don't let it stop it. Stop for you sure. in your tracks. Don't for lose sure. momentum. For sure. You know, if you if you're just up and you're mm-hmm. you're walking around, you're mm-hmm. you're you're taking care of things, mm-hmm. and you know, first of all, like I guess on a psychological level, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. it gets your mind off it. Yeah, sure. But also. Again, like you don't lose momentum. You're just you're really right when you're also using positive energy. Yep. And I think positive energy is is uh, you know a well cure all, if you will. Yep. I mean, whether it's you know some sort of you know physical ailment or mental one for that matter. You know, if you have uh, if you're depressed about something that's going on, uh, it's far better to keep keep doing things. Whatever it doesn't make any difference. It really doesn't make any difference what it is. Sometimes what I do, uh, beyond music, um, is art. Mm-hmm. Uh, that really gets me into a completely different zone. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do. I, I haven't really been doing very much in terms of you know, let's say, pen and ink drawings, which I like to do, and watercolors. Um, I like to do digital art. Oh, okay. 
you know, uh, and it's fun. It's really fun. I mean, I could just sit there for hours and, and just all of a sudden it's like, what, 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 what happened with the time? <laughs> you know? So, you know, if, if my mind is occupied uh, doing something with uh, good positive energy, and it doesn't even have to be that. I mean, anything that I do, if it's just picking up stuff or whatever, you know, uh, it's a step in the right direction. Yeah. And now, did you, were you always fascinated with like, um, arts other than music, like visual arts, like painting and all this yeah, stuff? Yeah. Um, I mean, thinking about, about it when I was a kid, you know, uh, in turn, well, let's, let's deal with music first. You know, I have three sisters that all you know, were taking piano lessons. And I, I was already improvising, seven, eight years old, whatever okay. it was. And I was playing things that my sisters could not duplicate. And, and to this day, I still not have not understood why my parents didn't already have me to take lessons too. They finally did, but I was, you know, already like eight, eight plus, almost nine. And that's really late. Yeah. I mean, that's really late. In the first year, I went through three levels. That's three years. Hmm. When I was, let me see. I would have been in the eighth grade or ninth. We had moved to a small town in uh, central Texas. And I was working with a teacher. After a year, she said, I can't teach you anymore. I don't, I, I, I don't know what else to teach you. Yeah. Okay. You know, so I was on my own for, for a while. Then we ended up moving to a suburb of Dallas. And I found a really great teacher. So... Who was able to like push you? Well, just to give me, you know, uh, information that I was lacking. I mean, oh, okay. they didn't, no teacher has ever, ever had to push me. Oh, okay. Oh, no. Uh-uh. <laughs> no, 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 no. And my family was very supportive. I was at the piano easily, minimum of two hours, but mostly three to four hours every day. Okay. You know, in addition to playing, uh, I played trumpet and then picked up cello when I was in high school. So I was doing all that. You know, and, and so it's never changed, <laughs> except I don't play trumpet or um, uh, or cello any longer, so, right. unfortunately. One day I would like to pick up the cello. Uh, in terms of art, I guess you could call it um, doodling to a degree. Okay. Uh, I, I would do some pretty elaborate ones, and then I would experiment with, um, instead of just using a, a pen or a pencil, you know, I would use... Uh, uh, colored pencil, uh, uh, just a, a lot of different things. And, and then I got into doing watercolors, I guess, when I was in high school. I haven't had much time to do that. Uh, so, in so like, years. your affair with art has been, has like, is just as old as your, as with music? Yeah, it's been uh, all, all together. And then I, I actually I do poetry too, which I did not pick up. That may, I actually didn't pick that up until I think after college. And I used to write a lot. Now, you know, I've never had any, quote, formal training um, mm. in, in art, you know, any, any sort, drawing, painting, whatever, nor in poetry. So this was probably two or three years after college. I had quite a collection of art, and I decided one day uh, to take it to a gallery and, and just to get an opinion. That's all. I, was, I wasn't looking to even exhibit or anything like that. And the gallery said, people said, you need to be entering shows. Okay. <laughs> and then a really bad thing happened. On my way back from the gallery, I stopped at a little convenience store to pick up like, you know, like a, a Coke or something, you know. I had all this artwork in a large uh, leather sort of um, portfolio case. When I got back to my car, someone had broken in hmm. and had taken, and they were, I'm sure they were just after the leather case, thinking there was probably something valuable in it. I could not believe it. I looked 
uh, everywhere. I checked out every trash can, big big ones, little oh. ones, for blocks around that location. So who knows? I never know. I never knew what happened to it. Yeah. And in my poetry, um, this was all. This all happened in Dallas. Um, similar time frame, I guess. Um, I took to a publisher. The publisher really liked what I did. Um, interesting guy, the editor. Um, originally a Buddhist monk. He spoke numerous languages. I mean, he really had quite the background, you know. He said, I love your work, but he said, our publishing house doesn't publish material uh, in, in this genre. He said, but I'm going to give you a list of publishers that will all, almost all of them would publish what you have. Mm-hmm. So this wasn't a list of like, you know, 10 or 20 publishers. It was 20 pages of publishers. Mm. And stupid me, I say stupid, I never followed up. Oh. And, and that, uh, so I had put together actually, you know, a collection of poems into an actual, uh, um, I guess, book format mm-hmm. or a manuscript at least. Yeah. And that included pen and ink drawings. Oh, okay. Now, what's interesting is the drawings that were I used for that were not done specifically for the poetry. These were done separately, but they happened to work for at least select poems. I mean, they were more or less abstract. I mean, this is this is a more, uh, I guess, a sophisticated version of uh, of doodling. Oh, okay. You know, where I took it to a whole new level. And since then, I have seen online, you know, other artists that are do uh, that do a very similar thing. It's fascinating. So, you know, the, the saying is that music is the universal language. I think art is too. Yeah. You know. Whatever form it takes. Yes. I'm always interested in when um, you find musicians. I feel like more often than not, musicians, like, the only thing they really do is music. Yeah. And, right. like, that's, like, that's the thing. Mm-mm. But then, like, you find, then there's, you know, other ones mm-hmm. that you find their 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 interests uh, go in other areas, including, like, arts and stuff. Like, uh, I happen to have an associate's degree in art. Mm-hmm. And... Although I'm not, I was never um, the kind of person who like doodled when I was a kid. Mm-hmm, I was, mm-hmm. I actually was never, was not interested in art. Oh, okay. On some level, you could say I'm still not mm-hmm. because my degree in, in fine arts mm-hmm. was more of like me trying to get, it was for me to develop mm-hmm. a background in arts so I could um, pursue, say, filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. What I I have found, uh, no matter what the subject, and and it doesn't necessarily have to be uh, quote in the arts, mm-hmm. uh, because I have s- such a humongous variety of interest. As an example, um, uh, nature. Uh, I'm a nature boy. <laughs> <laughs> For me, what I am the happiest is a very simple thing. It's a warm, sunny day when I can just sit out in the sun. You know, and enjoy all of the uh, nature around me, whether it be trees, plants, animals, whatever it happens to be. I'm, I, that's where I find inspiration. Okay. You know, and, and I, at the same time, feel most relaxed, uh, most excited simultaneously. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that sense of feeling excited about something, maybe it's an idea, maybe it's what I'm looking at, what, mm-hmm. whatever it is. And at the same time, you know, there is a, a calmness and it's like I ch- it's, a, it's a way of channeling energy that sort of channeling of energy happens when I'm playing most often when I'm playing um, improvisations okay. I love to improvise 
I mean, I've been improvising. That's how I started. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I do, uh, frequently when I do performances, I do, uh, always include, um, you know, improvisation. I've done actually all, con- uh, all improvisational concerts. Oh, kind of like, um, uh, Keith Jarrett or? Kinda. Um, Keith Jarrett is, I think, a little bit more jazz oriented than I am. Oh, I'm, I'm right. really not a jazz pianist. Oh, you're not? No. Okay. Um, I'm more classical. I mean, there are jazz elements, uh, that come in, um, certain harmonies, sometimes rhythms. Um, probably more that creeps in is, is blues. Oh, okay. And, and again, there, there are just touches of that. You know, uh, I have a good friend who is a jazz trumpet player. We've done many concerts together, and we do improvisations. I've improvised with other musicians before, but RJ uh, and I just have a connection that is just uh, unbelievable. I, I was just uh, uh, just over the weekend was up at his uh, house um, in, in Massachusetts, and we sat down and just did some jamming. You know, mm-hmm. it was awesome, mm-hmm. just awesome. So your your background is more classical. Oh yeah, yeah. So. So you started, you know, uh, when you were younger, yep. uh, just, um, you know, like learning classical music. Mm-hmm. Then did you studied uh, pl- classical piano performance mm-hmm. in, what, in college? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, my degree is actually in piano performance. Okay. Yep. And that's that was at? Uh, Southern Methodist University. Okay, cool. Uh, in Dallas. Uh, actually, uh, initially, I was a double major uh, in piano and in composition. Oh, okay. And I ended up dropping the composition part because it was going to take me one more year, and I was done. <laughs> I wanted to be done. Mm. My exposure to all kinds of music, I mean, I like all kinds of music, but what I know that I perform best um, you know, is either classical or uh, improvisa- improvisations. Okay. Those are the two areas that I'm most comfortable in. Uh, where I feel like you know I'm channeling energy best. Okay. You know, I mean, I took I did some jazz studies at at, at college. You know, the instructor um, said and you could really do well with this. I said no, but wasn't my, quite your bag. My heart's not in it, and if my heart's not in it, what's the point? You yeah. Know? I mean, seriously. Um, and I like jazz, um, but I'm just I'm just not uh, in that vein. You know. Okay. Do you have an idea of like what's the thing about jazz that like you're not that doesn't quite grip you or like um, is there just a perhaps a, some of it is a little bit of insecurity. Okay. Uh, I mean, jazz players are really phenomenal musicians. They are. An ability to to, to hear things in a, a very clear way. Yeah. Um and then uh, coupled with an understanding of how to, uh, whether it's conscious or not, in some cases it is and sometimes it isn't, mm-hmm. uh, being able to transpose into any key possible, yeah. uh, play a tune uh, in a variety of jazz styles or yeah. other, whatever, you yeah. know. And I'm comfortable with that to a degree. I mean, I can do, you know, variations yeah. uh, and that kind of thing. Yeah. But for me, it was, I think, a matter of, you know, the kind of time it was going to entail to get to uh, yeah. that level. Classical music is super, super demanding. Yeah. It's really demanding physically. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it's, as I tell my students, pianists are contortionists. <laughs> I mean, seriously, yeah. you have no idea. So it's not unusual when, you know, a young pianist I'm working with is encountering in a piece of music having to form a very particular shape. Yeah. They're complaining, oh, this hurts. I said, 
your muscles will adjust. You just have to spend time doing it. Don't try to push it too hard. Don't try to go too fast. Let it develop over time. And before long, you won't even think about it. Yeah. Your hand will just adapt. Which brings me to this point, too. The infinite ability or capability of the human hand to make unusual shapes and how fast that can happen. Yeah. Well, we're talking about nanosecond timing. There, there is some music where uh, the technical demands are so great that you're changing the shape of your hand to yeah. uh, rather, uh, well, they would be un- uh, uncomfortable for, for most people. On some level, I think I understand. Mm-hmm. Like, in ter- like I, I play guitar. Yeah, okay. And like, there's yep. lots of weird kind of voicings. That, like, mm-hmm. How would you ever get your hand into, into that? Yeah, right. You know? yep. And your hand will adapt. It, it, it does. Um, even the speed at which your uh, fingers can move and your hand. It's a separate thing. If you're having to do a rather wide jump with a hand, yeah. one of my teaching methods is you need to do literally a karate chop. <laughs> so with the idea that the shortest distance from point A to point B is a straight line. If you're doing a karate chop, that's a straight line. I mean, you're channeling energy to get there. Now, the challenge is that when you do get there, that you're accurate. They're right on top of it. So as you're traveling at lightning speed from one to the other, and it's going to be a different um, hand formation, en route, you are already in the uh, new shape so that when you arrive, your fingers should be on top of the keys that you're going to play, but they're already in the shape. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're not going to, it's not going to happen. Yeah. It's very interesting. Yeah. It is. It's, it's, it's a fascinating study. Yeah. This is kind of information I give to all my students from the youngest up, which actually brings me to another subject, teachers that should not be teaching. <laughs> it's horrible. Yeah. I mean, they're not giving even the most foundational information. So sometimes I get uh, uh, students that will transfer to me, and I have to be very careful because um, I can see pretty quickly how much information that they have not received that they should have had in the first lesson or in the first two at right. the latest, right? Mm-hmm. So I can, you know, uh, overwhelm them with a lot of information, things that they need to know. Instead, I must go slowly and add this information in little by little. They need to be able to absorb it. They're not if you if you give them too much information, they're not going to absorb it. And even with that, it's 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 you know it's difficult. So yeah, they all get the same information from the very yeah. beginning. It's interesting, over the years, with the various teachers I've had, and some really wonderful teachers, too. Since all of that, you know, I've done my own explorations, my own discoveries. Some of the discoveries happen when I'm teaching. Because as a teacher, you are trying to convey information to an individual, and everybody is different on how they learn, their capacity for absorbing information, et cetera, et cetera. So you, as a teacher, you first of all, you have to, you know, pick up on that student's uh, capabilities and be able to convey that information in a way they get. And I love teaching. It's one of the great joys in my life. I really, really love it. So I learn a lot because you're, you're having to think, how are you going to convey this information? And so sometimes I'm surprised at how much I really have understood to be able to come up with a, a unique, unique way to convey maybe the same information I do to another student. So with a new student... I've got to figure out pretty quickly 
Are they going to understand what I'm saying here? I mean, some information stays pretty much the same. So I have to be uh, on top of it so that I can sense pretty quickly whether or not that student has picked, uh, really gotten the idea. Whether they say they've got it or not doesn't make any difference. Yeah. <laughs> the proof is in the pudding, you know, in terms yeah. of, you know, how they respond to that, how they react, and how they actually execute an idea. Yeah. You know, with their hands or whatever it happens to be. It's kind of like um, playing in an ensemble and say you're adjusting to their rhythm. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, since everybody's so individual, when you're playing with an ensemble, you know, uh, an ensemble has its own personality. Yeah. You know, or, late, or the amalgamation of all the different personalities playing. That exactly right. Right. Yeah. So it, it gets to be much more complex. This was, uh, you know, several years ago now, I came across uh, a website that just literally blew me out of the water. I was not familiar with, you know, personally with other musicians that improvised in the you know, same way that I do, which I call more or less, you know, free improvisation. Uh, so to describe that a little, when I'm sitting down at the piano to do an improvisation, mostly I have no idea what I'm going to do. So I'm coming out to the piano I sit down, I don't know what I'm going to do. And then I put my hands on the piano and just go. And whatever happens is what happens. Mm. Going back to this website that I found uh, called Improvelocity. This is a, a, what was a, a group of musicians in Boston. All kinds of musicians. Classical, jazz, pop, you name it, whatever. It didn't make any difference. So what they did simply was they did concerts together. However many could show up, you know, uh, the woman who um, founded it would uh, make the arrangements for concerts. And then she would just call up uh, various musicians on the list. Can you do this day? And they just show up. No rehearsal. Just show up and do it. So I had uh, a number of email com- you know, com- conversations with her and then some phone conversations. And I became a member of Improvelocity. Um, she came down from Boston, uh, and when I had my studio, uh, we did a concert. The night of the concert, Andrea is en route from Boston, right? And it's getting, to, and the concert is at, I think, 7.30 or something like that. By 7, she wasn't there yet, and I was, like, getting really concerned. It was about 7.15, 7.20, and I get a call for her. She said, I'm on Route 84. I said, okay, well, from where you are... It's going to take you at least an hour. So we're going to go ahead and start the concert. So you should be able to get here, you know, for the second set after intermission. And that is exactly what happened. Now, we had talked on the phone. We emailed each other a lot. But we had never performed together. Andrea is more of a classical singer, opera. She's improvising vocally. In some cases, she's improvising with just sung syllables, you know, vowel sounds, whatever. Almost almost jazzy in a way. Uh, she said uh, before she left, she wrote, uh, I think it was at least one, maybe two poems, just for the occasion. I'd never seen the poems. And so she was going to improvise the singing of them while I was improvising. <laughs> <laughs> it was just incredible. And then I jumped forward a couple of years later. Uh, we did another concert. This time she invited somebody else from Boston uh, to come down. This guy was a woodwind, woodwind player, primarily clarinet. His credentials were, over. Um, what's the word, um, uh, intimidating. <laughs> I mean, really quite something. So I was a little nervous how this was going to go. 
Okay, so we start the concert. We did two improvisations, one for each half of the concert. So these went on. We finished the first one, and the three of us looked at each other like, do you really realize what just happened? This was just um, practically miraculous. Mm -hmm. I I could not believe what we had just done. It was just awesome. So we really, really hit it uh, dead on. It was awesome. And I've, I've improvised with others as well. RJ, I think, is probably one of my favorites. So, I mean, there's no question. That kind of approach to improvisation mm-hmm. where you literally have, like, no plan, just sit, like, at a piano right. and yeah. you, you start doing stuff. reminds me of um, uh, a musician I like named John Bryan. Mm-hmm. You ever heard of him? Uh, I don't think so. He's, a, like, a real big uh, multi-instrumentalist uh, mm-hmm. producer. Okay. Uh, he does film scores as well. Mm. And he was famous for... This, I think he's still going on. This, like, kind of residency at the venue Largo in Los Angeles. Okay. Where he would just do, like, a live show where he just mm-hmm. improvised. Mm-hmm. And, like, he'll take, like, suggestions from the audience. Like, mm-hmm. you want to hear this Radiohead song played in the style of Fats Waller? Mm-hmm. So, like, uh, oh, okay, yep. I'll do that. Right. And, or, or he'll just, I've listened to recordings yep. of him that they just, he's, he's such a, just a phenomenal musician who mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. just he puts things together or just lets the, like um notes flow out of his fingers that just they're mm-hmm. just uh they're they they sound fantastic and you think to yourself this is all it, it just came out see that's uh one of the qualities i was speaking of earlier uh with, with jazz mus- musicians in particular yeah. uh that ability to do that so there there are different approaches to improvisation in some cases you can have um a theme uh, a melody yeah. it could be a, a popular tune whatever it happens to be and do an improvisation just on that i mean i've done improvisations on happy birthday yeah <laughs> i've done it to the point where nobody can even recognize it yeah and I, I mean, I'm doing that quite intentionally. Yeah. And then, and then afterwards, I will point it out, and 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 they go, "Oh, that kind of thing." I've yeah. done it on chopsticks, even. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I can do some basic things like that, but you know, it's I, I'm not set out to, or I don't set out to, uh, to try to um, imitate, you know, a jazz pianist and, and and their various style capabilities. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just, I mean, I, I admire it, but I'm not going to go there. Yeah, I, you know, I'm just not. It's not. You know, I just know I won't. I won't feel comfortable. Uh, yeah. feeling like I'll not do a great job of it. Primarily, you know. So yeah. I, I have, do what I do. What I do. Yeah. So. I have the same admiration for jazz musicians because, mm-hmm. in a way, not to dig on mm-hmm. classical musicians, but in a mm-hmm. way, jazz musicians are kind of like the. I don't want to say best, mm-hmm. but perhaps the most versatile musicians, mm-hmm. because. When you're learning the jazz tradition, especially if like mm-hmm. you're in nowadays, if you're in like mm-hmm. um, going to school, mm-hmm. music school for jazz music, mm-hmm. you're learning like say the bebop tradition, mm-hmm. right? right? And so, first of all, you have to be, you just have to be like good at playing your instrument, right? That's like a prereq, oh, a, sure. a given. It's a oh, pre- for sure. That's the prereq. Oh, for sure. And also, like you also kind of. And jazz musicians, they, they might not be like the best sight mm-hmm. readers in the world, mm-hmm. but they still, they know enough that like they're going to be looking at lead sheets and whatever mm-hmm. to, to, to pick mm-hmm. up on tunes mm-hmm. and developing their ears right. in order to play within ensembles mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. be able to interact with the rest of the players mm-hmm. and like pull together something that's mm-hmm. cohesive. Well, actually, you'll, you'll, you might be surprised by this. It's not as much, uh, well, certainly as, uh, as true today. Uh, as it once was, but classical musicians, you look at the great compo- composers, 
Bach, Beethoven, so many others, Chopin, were all master improvisers. Yeah. That doesn't all necessarily just mean that it was in a solo capacity. They could do that with ensembles as well. Uh, Mozart frequently, I mean, you know, but their abilities were astounding. Yeah. Uh, seriously. But that's not been cultivated for quite a long time in, in, in yeah. the classical world. Yeah, because most classical musicians these days, it's, um, it's all about your chops, as mm-hmm. in your technique mm-hmm. on your instrument, mm-hmm. but also like reading. Mm-hmm. And to the point where a lot of like classical musicians I know, they're mm-hmm. like, if they, hey, you want to improvise over this? They're like, uh. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. Because like they're, for the most part, they are, I don't want to say this pejoratively, mm-hmm. but chained to the page. Mm-hmm. Because that's where that's where the the music comes from, right? Uh, largely, yes, but there's more to it than just that. I, I mean, I understand that you know that would be the way it seems to be. When you are looking at a score, it's a matter of learning to read between the lines, because everything that you do musically is not going to be written on the page directly. Yeah. So, so in other words, there are nuances, including tempos. Um, dynamics, phrasing, accents, all of those things, which is uh, why every individual artist has their signature. It's their take on it. I think it's correct, but I think it's almost overdone in, in some ways. You know, being true to the score, well, that can mean a lot of things. Yeah. Um, like you played the right notes. And, yeah, right. But the expression could be totally different from like some other Absolutely. Performer. And so, so for me, you know, I, I always question how I interpret that written score, would the composer have played it this way? Would he have been stuck to only one way? And I, I, I will tell you absolutely not. No question about it. As a composer myself, I mean, I look at uh, and play through music that I've written, let's say, several years ago. I interpret it very different now. I see it very differently. That wasn't going on with the great composers? Of course it was, constantly. Music is an evolution. It's not like, you know, you look at a score, it's not cast in stone. It's it's very, very interesting. I, I think that there is perhaps a, a view that classical musicians are, are so stuck to that written score that they have no flexibility. For a really good classical musician, that is not true at all. Yeah. They're re- they have to be flexible if, if they're being true to themselves as an evolutionary creature, <laughs> you know, on, on multiple levels. You know, sometimes your, your skill set increases. So you're able to do things, let's say, more thoroughly. Uh, but what it really means is that you have a greater command of the instrument to be able to express at a given moment what comes to you. Keeping in mind, you know, trying to be, quote, more or less historically correct. I mean, there are certain things that, for example, uh, let's say, let's look at the music of Bach. You look at most of the keyboard music, there is no indication of tempo. There are no expression marks, you know, no phrase marks, no slurs, none of that. And students, you know, who are starting to to get into Bach and they say, well, how do you know what to do? (laughs) And how would the musicians of the day, as I understand it, you know, musicians of the day were expected to know. I mean, there were sort of standard things, you know, there may be other things. And especially in the music of Bach, this is where you get into sometimes um, especially controversial um, interpretations. You know, the great uh, Canadian pianist, Glenn Gould. Sometimes he would take uh, a tempo of a piece that's fairly well known, 
ordinarily a piece that might be played faster, and he would play quite slow. And some that were played quite slow, he would take even extra fast. Things of that nature, just mm. completely opposite. But the thing was, whatever the tempo he took, completely convincing, because he was so, I guess, emotionally and intellectually involved uh, in, in that music. I mean, if you see uh, uh, films of him playing, he's, he's the one who, was, <laughs> who would always hum along. Even on some of his important recordings, you could still hear him humming. He was so intensely involved in, 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 in playing. I, I get he had no problem that, and he knew, yeah, he had to, had to know that uh, his voice was being heard while he's playing, you yeah. know? I, I suppose, it, I don't know, well, maybe in, t- in today's world they could actually you know, get that out, but maybe not, I don't know. Another factor uh, that comes into play is the uh, different stylistic approaches to performance yeah. uh, through time. So <laughs> this is interesting. Late 19th century pianists in particular, classical pianists, were very guilty of changing things dramatically. They would add notes. They would take away notes. They would be very free uh, in all tempos. It could be, it may not have been even at all. It was very, an emotional, romantic version, even if the music itself was not from the romantic period. So it was not until Stokowski uh, came along, great conductor, tried to make a change and said, you must be true to the score. This is where that really came from. Mm. Now, if you really look back at the 19th century, I think there was more flexibility than there was uh, until well, up until the early 20th century. And then everything became very, very strict. And I think in a way, well, there were good things about it, but the, 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 I think the bad part of it is some performers were not so spontaneous about their interpretations and I think that's what music really is about. It should, it should, even if it's composed and you're staying, quote, strict to the score, all those things, stylistically, whatever, there has to be an element of spontaneity. Right. If you're really, really going to reach your audience, because that's what people respond to the most. Yeah. And most significantly. Yeah. That's just my take on it. On some level, that's kind of how I like to approach music. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. say, I guess you could say my shtick as a guitarist. Um, or while I'm trying to, my goal as a guitarist mm-hmm. is to arrange stuff for mm-hmm. solo guitar. Mm-hmm. That's the thing I'm into. Mm-hmm. For the most part, if I want to arrange a jazz standard, mm-hmm. I want to get the song across. Mm-hmm. So I start with like a chord melody mm-hmm. kind of approach. Mm-hmm. It's just like, oh, just play it like how it sounds because that's mm-hmm. what the song is, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. For the most part, that's how it stays until like um, I want to like... I want to come up with like a weird coda to put at the end mm-hmm. or like I want to change this bit because mm-hmm. I think I feel I feel it this way. Mm-hmm. Like um recently I um I arranged the Beatles song mm-hmm. while my guitar gently weeps. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. For a solo guitar. Mm-hmm. And I did it it sounds like the song. Mm-hmm. For the most part the like the verse bits, the mm-hmm. bridge bits, mm-hmm. they sound like the song. Mm-hmm. But like the intro bit, mm-hmm. I arranged it in a way that a couple of grace notes that mm-hmm. feel like you can, you know, like, yeah, but that, that's not quite in the recording, but like, oh, I see you're trying to like put your own flair on it, right? Right. And after the intro, pretty much just start, goes right into the verse, but I added the, that kind of, that bass walk up mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. that goes, uh, that walks up from E, F sharp, G sharp, and A, mm-hmm. the turnaround to get back to the verse. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, instead, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is normally just after the bridge, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I I eschewed the um, guitar or Clapton guitar solo 
because I can't play Uh-oh. that. Okay. <laughs> I'm yeah. not good at arranging it. That, uh, uh, I'm, not, I'm not that good at arranging it. And I decided to ha- play through the verse again mm-hmm. as a coda, play through the verse again, mm-hmm. but instrumentally. So it's just like... Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then at the very end, I add a bit where I go... Are you familiar with how the song goes? At least a progression or something? Um, more or less. Well, like so the last kind of bit of it would go like A minor, G, mm-hmm. C, E. Mm-hmm. I'm, so I go on to C, and I'm about to go... You think I'm going to the E chord, right? Mm-hmm. But I go to the C, but then I switch it up. I start the really decode mm-hmm. a bit. It goes B half diminished. Okay. B fully diminished. Mm-hmm. E7... Mm-hmm. For two bars. Okay. And then I throw in a little descending line with a little bit mm-hmm. with some chromatic notes in it. Okay. And then it ends on an A minor chord. Mm-hmm. And then um, I slide it up an octave, that shape. Uh, I strum that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I use my, the, my index finger on my picking hand mm-hmm. to tap uh, a low A note to, uh, to end the piece. Ooh, that's cool. Yeah. That's cool. I like that. Yeah, stuff like that. That's great. I mean, I mean, uh, would the Beatles have minded that? Doubt it. <laughs> well, they probably would have thought, yeah, that's that's pretty cool. You're, yeah, yeah. you're trying to do your own thing with it. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so I think you know. Well, the other thing too uh, in today's world, we get into this whole issue of copyright. I think there are good things about it, but I think it's really gone too far. This was uh, several years ago. I caught part of a radio interview it was on NPR, and I don't I don't even remember who who the guy was that was uh, either who was interviewing or who was being interviewed. But it was on the subject of copywriting, and what I remember, you know, the comparison of what once was uh, and and what's happening today. And, and the biggest point that was brought out in that interview was copywriting, uh, to a degree, uh, to maybe to a great degree, is actually a sort of stymieing creativity. Kind so, of, yeah. So when you look at it, historically, 19th, 18th century, a composer used another composer's tune to compose something, like a set of variations or whatever it happened okay. to be. The composers whose music, for, for the most part, I'm going to say, for the most part, the composers whose music was being used was very proud. Yeah. Because, you know, this composer uh, that was using it uh, thought so much of that that he was going to write another piece of music inspired by that. Yeah. In today's world, that becomes problematic. Yeah, it's kind of... Our sue-happy world. Yeah. (laughs) I'm serious. It's getting really crazy. Like I saw... Have you seen that recent movie, A Star is Born? No, not the recent one. Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga Mm -hmm. have a song. um, It's called... What is it called? Shallow? Right. Uh, uh-huh. And there was some guy who was like trying to sue like the producers of the mm-hmm. movie and whatever, mm-hmm. the songwriters, because they're like, oh, this this one line here, it's like it sounds a lot like this song of mine. Uh, but the notes are literally just the first, second and third. It's just climbing up to the third. Are you, are you seriously trying to sue them for that? That's like that's the, insane. That's the <laughs> just insane. I mean, it's really gone way out of kilter. Frankly, you know, it's just it's just stupid. Well, the music business itself uh, is pretty much upside down. I, I, yeah. I don't care what the genre is nowadays. Classical musical world has been suffering. Jazz has been suffering. Uh, I think a lot of all other genres. I think in today's world, frankly, the vast majority of the public is seeking spectacle that's what it is yeah nothing wrong with spectacle <laughs> but if that is the only thing that motivates you 
Wow. Yeah. You know, that's pretty limiting. And there was one that happened like a few months ago that really made my blood boil mm -hmm. because there was so like a Katy Perry song mm -hmm. that has this descending synth line mm -hmm. that's in minor, right? Mm -hmm. There were people trying to sue her for it because it sounds very similar to a song by this like Christian rap artist oh. like a few years before. But like, there's a note difference. It's just din, 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 mm. din, din. That's it. That's that's the sh that's the contour of mm -hmm. the, of the mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. And the guy they brought in to like really bolster their case is mm -hmm. a music this professor of musicology mm -hmm. from this college down south or whatever. Mm -hmm. And he was like something something. Oh, it's such a recognizable melody. Blah blah blah. And the the timbre. Blah blah blah. But first of all, those are completely different synth sounds. Like even if you look at the waveform, they're mm. not they're not the same. Mm -hmm. And and if you ha if you are a human with ears, you can hear the difference. Right. They're not quite the same. Yeah. And this guy even like I've never seen this this particular melodic shape. Blah blah blah. They're they're so distinct. They totally stole it from this Christian rap artist. But this guy even wrote an entire book on Old Man River, which includes the same melodic figure. It's, I mean, you know, uh, that kind of stuff is just just makes me sick, frankly. Yeah. I mean, the guys, I, for me, the way I see that is, I mean, he was just out to get a buck. Yeah, he was. That's all. Yeah, you and know? it, but it it sets a dangerous precedent because it looks like based on their case, mm -hmm. you can pretty you can copyright mm -hmm. like timbre. Mm -hmm. It's like, hey, want to play piano on this song? I'm sorry, they copyrighted the sound of piano. We can't, we can't use piano anymore. So-and-so owns the sound of piano. <laughs> this is not really happening. Are you no, saying? No, I mean, I'm, like, I, I'm hypothetical. Like, uh, like it, it sounds... You know what? Don't suggest it. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, because based on how their case sounds... Yeah, right. It sounds like you can copyright the set, a timbre. And it's like... Well, that's, golly, that you know be, what I think? Be, oh, I know what I need to copyright. <laughs> you ready for this? What? You're not going to be ready for this. Existence. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to copyright music. You're, just, just, You're right. <laughs> just music. The idea of music. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's just, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's silly. And at the same time, it's scary. Yeah. If this is not an, an impediment to creativity, well then, you know, if this is what the 21st century is, uh, you know what? Let's just dial that clock back, or, or let's just maybe just fast forward about like several hundred years. Yeah. Maybe there will be some evolution that finally occurs. For God's sake! I mean, really, it's not just about music; it's just about a lot of things in general. Hmm, look at our politics; yeah. <laughs> it, it's regressive. Yeah, it's not progressive. No. Oh well, it, you know, it's the same old. It's an age-old story. Money, money, money. <laughs> I mean, That's until human I beings, want. you know, evolve beyond that, well, then, you know, we're going to have the same messes constantly going on and on and on. And it, and it's, it's seeped into, you know, uh, well, it's, it's been there. <laughs> Even so, it's still been there for hundreds, if not thousands of years, too. Money has just really corrupted so much. And at the same time, it's provided so much. Uh, what do you do with all that? I don't know. Fast forward. <laughs> that's that's my solution. You know, I've been waiting for Star Trek technology for a long time. Maybe just a good old time machine. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I think. Oh, well, anyway. Yeah, I know it's it's a really tricky world. You know, I I never had 
uh, maybe for a little while when I was in my early 20s. But even so, it, these were not great uh, ambitions. You know, the, the, I mean, I, I've seen uh, musicians who had, whose ambition was so intense, they practically walk over anybody and don't feel guilty about it at all. Mm-hmm. And that's just not who I am. I was never that way. I never went the route of doing competitions. Um, I had a good friend uh, when I was uh, at university uh, that went that route, and I heard all of the horror stories. I mean, seriously. And he would tell me stories. He you know, would, would uh, go out and, 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 and play, and then as soon as he got off stage, he'd go to the restroom and throw up. You know, so there's that aspect of it. And, you know, competitions – they're not so forthright. Let's put it that way. I mean, I've heard some pretty awful stories. And so I thought, that's a world I do not want to be a part of. I did enter one co- uh, one competition, but this this was a composition contest when I was uh, uh, in college. And I had four, uh, uh, four compositions that placed, so I went out to perform them, and that was it, you know? It wasn't a big deal. There was no money involved, no nothing. It was just, you know, awards. Hmm. Simple. Money would have been nice, but <laughs> but you know I was very honored that you know, that poor compositions uh, had a high placement, so that was good, you know. And I I, I do like I mean I do compose for um, a lot of different genres um, and instrumentation as well. I mean I've done obviously lots of solo piano, organ works, um, lots of individual uh, instruments, you know, violin, baritone. <laughs> Et cetera, et cetera. Uh, chamber music, uh, full orchestral works, um, a lot of choral stuff, um, because that's one of the other areas. I mean, as a musician, I have uh, a number of different uh, outlets for making music. Uh, I've been a church musician for many, many years, so organist, choir director, handbell director, et cetera, those kinds of things. Long career as an accompanist for ballet. That goes back to when I was living in Dallas, um, and I became the principal accompanist for the Dallas Ballet Conservatory. Um, I came to Connecticut because I was hired as principal accompanist for Nutmeg uh, Conservatory, their, their, their ballet uh, company. Um, I was a staff accompanist uh, with the Joffrey Ballet, their summer program. I did that for 17, you know, 17 years. Mm. So uh, that's one. I've I've worked with all different kinds of choral groups. When I lived in Maine, I was up there off and up for 20-plus years. Uh, And and choral singing is a really big thing up there. So uh, I I accompanied a number of different choruses up there. Uh, I've done theater. I actually went on a national tour uh, Mm -hmm. with a theater from Dallas. uh, And we did a Cole Porter review. Cool. It was awesome. Fabulous cast. You know, really, really, it was one of the most fun experiences I think I've ever had. I'm so glad I did that. So we were out on the road for like two weeks. <laughs> and, you know, we would do a, a show in a different town every single night. And it was just fun. It was really great cast. We we, we got along uh, beautifully, uh, extremely talented, great audiences. It was fun. Just great fun. Love cool. that. But I never really pursued a lot of, you know, uh, concert touring. I did some. I don't know. I just sort of made my home base and did things, you know, in the area that I, w- I was living, you know, yeah. whether it was in Texas or Maine or here in Connecticut. Now, when you compose, mm-hmm. since you say you do, you write poetry a lot, mm-hmm. do they ever 
um, converge and you write songs as well? I have not done that. Really? I, I have actually often wanted to set some of my poetry to music, but I've never gone there. For I don't know why. I have no answer for that. <laughs> <laughs> Just never got there. Um, so the way I, well, actually, the way I write poetry and the way I uh, do art, whatever the medium, whether it's pen and ink, whether it's watercolor or uh, digital, it's a similar approach. Basically, make it up as I go. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, now, if I'm writing a piece of music, there are different approaches there, too. I've done arrangements. Mm-hmm. Uh, one example, a good friend of mine up in Maine, she's a, a Celtic musician. And she had uh, written a Thanksgiving uh, tune with lyrics and all that. And, but she wasn't familiar how to, to, to set it for a choir. So uh, I just took the basic thing that she gave to me and did an arrangement of that for choir. And that came out really beautifully. I will write for specific people sometimes, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Um, I was actually hired uh, to compose a three-act ballet. This was fully orchestrated. Mm-hmm. So that was a monster job, <laughs> very intense. <laughs> um, then I had another commission from another uh, ballet company up in Maine. Uh, this was for a very short 10-minute work. Mm. And the only parameters I had for that were, it was 10 minutes long. That's, this is for a mixed rep program. Mm. Uh, they had funding for a string orchestra. Not a full orchestra, but a string orchestra. And the only other thing was they wanted something that was interesting rhythmically. So what I did there was, I took the string orchestra and pulled three of the players to form a separate trio and added in piano since I could act as the pianist so that you would have th- basically three ensembles, if you will. And so the, the rhythm would be one that would be an interaction of the three ensembles. That was it. So that was fun. That was fun. So I like doing that kind of stuff. I don't actually, there's a, um, I have some plans this year to start working on some short ballets uh, in combination uh, or inspired by some of the digital art that I've done. And the digital art itself <laughs> is inspired by, I call them invented words. That's one of my fun things to do. I love to make up words. <laughs> They're sometimes really silly They and whimsical. They're supposed to be, you know. Uh, it's just, just being silly with syllables, how you spell things. Right. Uh, yeah. and it's just, it's just fun. For me, it's just great fun. Does that also feed into your poetry, inventing words? There's a little bit of that in there, but not for that much. This is, okay. this was sort of a, a later evolution. Um, I mean, I've always sort of made up words. Right. I guess where that really stems from, <laughs> you've heard of this idea of talking in tongues. <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, if I get really upset, I mean, there are no words that come to my mind, only just what, whatever comes out, <laughs> you know, to express, you know, whatever emotion that is that I'm feeling at the moment. So that's kind of where it started, I guess. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I'm shocked at just, you know, how many different words actually on my personal website I have, um, and they're alphabetized. There are 1,500 made-up words. Wow. Uh, some of those have already uh, resulted in uh, a complimentary um, piece of art. Uh, probably 300 out of the 1,500. Yeah. I kind of want to hear, like, if you if you were to, like, try to compose a song and you mm-hmm. put up, like, you, you use, like, <laughs> your invented words for lyrics. Oh, <laughs> that would, that oh would God. Oh, <laughs> God. 
Oh, that would be an exercise in yeah. silliness, I'm sure. Uh, I did set once um, music to, oh, um, geez, I can't believe I can't remember. What is it? Um, famous writer, American, um, early 20th century to mid, oh, geez. Poet? Or uh, um, wrote poetry to. Was it like Robert Frost? Uh, I've actually set, uh, set the words of Robert Frost. It okay. wasn't Robert Frost. Oh, I can't believe I can't remember. Anyway. Uh, yeah, we'll figure it out later. Yeah, right yeah anyway. Um, and that was great fun. All right. So and that was great fun. Do you think, um, I don't know, perhaps inspired by our conversation, you'll finally try to, like, maybe, like, take one of your poems, set it to music, and see how that, how that works works out? Well, you know what? Here's something interesting. Maybe. In the, the short ballets that I'm planning on uh, working on, I might take the invented word. <laughs> and actually, so part of the uh, ballet score would include vocal. Okay. Um, that's pretty unusual. Um, There's an example of, I guess, the most famous ballet, Nutcracker. Mm-hmm. Uh, where Tchaikovsky uh, uses female voices, but there's no, there's not singing words. It's just uh, like you know, syllables, syllables uh-huh. nonsense syllables. Yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. Ahs and oohs, that kind of thing. I did actually in the um, ballet that I was commissioned, the three act ballet, fully orchestrated. Mm-hmm. Um, there is uh, a soprano, uh, but this again is not words. It's just syllables. Right. Uh, was included in that score. Cool. Because it's a, it's, I mean, it's a beautiful way for, to uh, express um, and communicate in a different way that you don't ordinarily think of uh, a ballet doing. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. And then, you know, of course, you know, in opera, uh, historically, there was always a ballet section or sections. I mean, these, these were not lengthy, but there was always, you know, a dance component. Yeah. Not as much in, in today's world, but uh, historically it was there. Yeah. So those two art forms were combined. Yeah. And I th- I like that idea. Cool. A lot. Well, uh, we got we got on for a while. I think this is this is oh. like the typical length of an episode. Okay. So, so uh, that, I mean, was that? Yeah, good. I, I thought it was fun. I I had a great time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was absolutely. Uh, no, it was fun to talk about these things, you know, and and. Um, as time goes on, I think it's probably true for, for any artist, whatever your medium, um, you're always evolving. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you've got some basic things or that stay with you, but it probably, you know, is going to be all your um, point of view is always going to be evolving as well. Because yeah. I mean, we as human beings are evolving. Yeah. You know, if, and if we're not, well then what are we doing? <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I've enjoyed talking to you Same here. and, um, there's, I feel like there's so much other stuff we could talk about. Oh, maybe, for sure. Maybe I could have you on late, again later. That would be great. Know? Sure. Love it. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was nice meeting you. Same here. Nice talking to you. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> All right. Okay. Um, also, I have someone else that um, I want to recommend. That, okay. And I've, I've mentioned it to her already. So this is a friend who... Well, I did a recording with her uh, three, four years ago. We performed in concert. She's here in Torrington. 
uh, Kate Laurie. She's she's done some things at the Warner Theater as well. She's originally from New Jersey, but she's done a lot of stuff in New York and Boston and all that kind of stuff. So she's a very interesting person. All right. Um, would you mind handing some contact info? Yeah, I I I, I told her you know I, you know I would talk to you to see what you know if yeah, you were sure, interested sure. in all that kind of. For guests. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I'm yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Now I can get up and move. <laughs> Yay. Yeah.